0: My name is Andrew Tate, and this is Season 3, Episode 13 of Let's Not Meet, a true horror podcast. My guest this week is Curtis Connor of The Very Really Good Podcast. Enjoy. Sometime around the beginning of July, I got off the bus in Boise, Idaho. When you get off the bus in downtown Boise, you're already very near multiple shelters, the skate park, a mile long bike trail, the library, the zoo, and also the river in the woods. It's a really beautiful area, in spite of the overabundance of undesirable characters. The first night I was there, I went from the bus station to the skate park to a place called Piss Alley. At some point, a middle aged lady pulled up and just randomly started talking to me for no reason. She wasn't a junkie, she had a job, yet she stood there in Piss Alley and talked to us for an hour about religion and conspiracy. I was high as fuck for the first time in about 10 months. There was a lot about her that made me think that she was some kind of undercover, but I ultimately decided that she was just a little bit crazy. She had a job and a car and was capable of carrying on an intelligent conversation. We really hit it off, even though we had just met. She asked me if I would like to go camping with her and one of her girlfriends the next day. She definitely seemed more appealing than the street thug that I was talking to, so I agreed to go with them. They were going to be leaving in the afternoon, and so she said that I could come with her now or she could get me later after she picked up her friend from work. She took me out to eat, and we hung out at the skate park until her friend got off of work. They made sure that we had a tent and a sleeping bag just for me, and we headed off to their favorite place to camp. Long story short, we went out there, we did camping things, we had fun, and we came back. I didn't get chopped up into little pieces. It was about 11pm when she dropped me off back at Piss Alley. As I was getting out, this tweaker with long dreads approached her car. He was talking really fast. He said, I'm not on drugs. I don't have any drugs. I got a couple of bucks and I got a couple of friends and we need a ride. Uh, We need a ride across town. We just need a ride real quick. I had barely shut the door by the time that he finished his pitch. My lady friend looked like she was going to give him a ride, but she told him that she couldn't. He didn't hesitate to reiterate that he only had a couple of bucks and he just needed a ride real quick. She was beating around the bush, explaining that her car was too full of camping gear. She couldn't even fit them in the car. One of his friends was a girl who looked to be about 15, and he was definitely on drugs. I could tell because so was I. He was starting to reword his pitch for a third time when I interrupted. Being sure that I had his eye, I bluntly told him, Hey, no, she can't give you a ride. Then waved her on, and she pulled away from the curve, leaving him and I to look in each other's eyes. I could tell he was pissed. I knew that in his mind, I had disrespected him. Right away, he fired off. Who the hell are you? Is that your old lady? Are you from around here? Do you know who I am? I'm TK, motherfucker. Everybody around here knows me. You must be brand new around here. You ask some people, and they'll tell you, I run shit around here. He went on to talk about how nobody fucks with him, and how he's got everything. He was talking about how he has shooters all over town, and he can make a call and get somebody to show up and kill for him. I'm pretty used to people saying stupid shit like that, and I didn't act scared or even impressed. But I didn't scoff or mock either. I bought $20 worth of dope from him, thinking it might calm him down. He pulled out a big bag of dope, and he gave me a tiny little piece of it in the palm of my hand. We stared each other down, and I asked him if he was serious. He yelled at me, that what he gave me was all that I would need. He was offended that I didn't trust him. The crowd gathered all of them staring at me with the look on their face that I knew meant that they were waiting for me to make a wrong move. They all had his back. I put my hand on my knife, but ultimately backed down. I popped the shard into my mouth like a pill and swallowed it. This was going very badly. I was seething. I could glare, But I knew if I was expressing my anger with any major outburst, it would probably result in me getting stomped. TK and his main few friends walked away, and they stood there, talking in a small circle. After a few minutes, the 15-year-old girl came over to me, and she started flirting with me. I completely ignored her. This was obviously a trap. If he could make it look like I was disrespecting him further by so much as talking to his girl or sister or whatever in front of all of these people, he would gain more of their support. There were about 20 people in the alley at this point. I was starting to feel slightly paranoid. That shard was starting to kick in. If I was rude to this girl, that could be just as bad. So I answered a couple of her small talk questions with simple nods. She abruptly quit trying to be cute and walked back over to where TK and his friends were. He was on the phone. Next, a very big guy who might have been about 40 and another who might have been about 20 came up to me and started talking to me. The young kid didn't say anything at all the whole time. He just stood there with a glazed over look in his eyes like he was ready to kill me. The older guy was very tall and very fat with a red goatee. He talked to me about very mundane things and went back and forth from being very nice to giving me the same stare that the young guy was giving me. I could tell that he was trying to see if I was scared, and he was trying to see if I was an undercover cop as well. He was testing me in all kinds of ways, talking about crimes he had committed in the past and looking at me, in a very intimidating, hateful way, one second, then talking neutrally about the corner store in a cheerful manner the next second. The two of them talked to me, one on each side of me, with my back against the wall. They were closer to me than they should have been. Everyone else in the alley seemed to be oblivious to us, but there were guys leaning against the wall at either end of the alley, just staring at us. I had three bags, one of which contained my laptop. I had cash on me, and I was wearing a nice leather jacket. I kept my hand on my knife the entire time. I was trying to be respectful, but not look so scared. I was starting to suspect that the shard that I had swallowed was actually bath salt. Because on the inside, I was tripping fucking balls. TK walked over and set his bag next to my bag and started going through it, like he was looking for something. I was trying to maintain eye contact with the big guy, but now I had to watch and make sure that he wasn't going through my bag as well. I knew something was going to happen, and as soon as it did, I planned on flipping open my knife and sticking him swiftly and repeatedly. If I could, I would try to keep TK between me and the big guy while I stabbed him. I'm good with a knife, and I can take hits, but if I had to fight right now, three-on-one would only be the first stage, and there would be three or five more rushing me right after. The only thing that saved me is that I casually hinted that I needed to go get some money from a lady who owed me. Without saying it directly, I led them to believe that I did not have any money on me, but would come back with some and buy more dope from them. Needless to say, I didn't plan on coming back. The rest of that night was very long due to the effects of what I still believe was bath salts. I ran through the woods. I kept thinking that I was being followed. I hid my bags in different places in the woods so that I could run without them if I had to. I was pretty scared, and I'm pretty sure I narrowly escaped with my life. I was high. High as fuck. I came across a guy on the nature trail. He had a cloth bag in his hand, and when I asked him what it was, he said it was just something that he found on the trail, and he threw it in the bushes. He was a little tweaked out, like me. He seemed to sympathize as I told him the whole story of what happened to me. He was going to take me somewhere safe, a camp where I could lay low. I was unfamiliar with the area, so we were talking and walking, and the next thing I realized, we're headed right back to Piss Alley. We were a block away. I yelled at him and said, What the fuck are you doing? I said I didn't want to come back here. He was saying that it was cool. He knew those people that I was talking about, and he could make everything okay by just telling them I was a good guy. I turned around and walked back into the woods. I went back to the area where he threw the bag. I found the bag and opened it. It was a giant dildo. Still tripping balls, randomly stopping to hide, stopping and listening to sounds for extended periods of time to try and figure out where they are. Well, I come across another guy. He's about 20. In the end, he helped me keep safe. He took me to an island where the river split around a piece of land underneath a bridge. I fell asleep there and woke up in the middle of the night to a random couple putting a blanket over me. I said thanks and went right back to sleep. After a couple of days of getting used to Boise, I found out that TK had made national news. The same night that I had my interaction with him, actually. The same night I stopped him from getting in that Christian lady's car. He had convinced a couple to let him sleep in their apartment. I can imagine him telling them, just like he told us, I'm not on drugs. I don't have any drugs. At some point, he started acting really weird, cracked out. They had planned on having their three-year-old daughter's birthday party later that day, so they told him to leave, and he left. But then he came back. He stabbed nine people. Six kids and three adults. One of those kids was the three-year-old whose birthday party it was. The people that he was upset with weren't even at the party. But he stabbed those kids anyway. He killed a three-year-old at her birthday party. He's a fucking coward. Over the next five months, I got more acquainted with Boise and its vagrant, junky population. The people that had his back that night, most of them still missed him and acted like he never did anything wrong. When I went looking for details on the case, just now I found out that he will be getting the needle. But that a psychiatrist had almost got him off the hook. He won't actually be tried by a jury until 2020. That little girl is already dead. He should have been dead six months ago, right after it happened or before it happened. I can't help but wonder if it was fate that put me in a position to have taken him out of commission just hours before all of this happened. Yeah, I might have saved that lady from him getting in her car and doing who knows what, but maybe I was supposed to stab him to death in that confrontation, and it just never fully escalated. I knew he was dangerous. I knew he was evil. But all I did was get myself out of danger, and look what happened. In the future, if I'm ever put in a situation like that, I honestly don't know that I won't consider taking action to be doing the world a favor. What if I had failed fate? How am I supposed to sleep now?
1: This story happened slightly over 20 years ago, back when I was 16. During this time, I lived with my mom and stepdad in a remote area 70 miles west of Las Vegas, Nevada. I had gone out to visit with my friends, being allowed to drive myself for the first time ever. I had a lovely time watching a movie and getting food together until it was time for me to head home. The curfew I was given was 10 p.m., with the caveat that if I was running late for any reason, to find a payphone and call. The night wrapped around me, and my old 71 Chevy pickup as there were no street lights or houses for most of my way home. As I pulled up to the first of two stop signs, I could see an older sedan stopped with its hazards on. I pulled up behind it and waited as a man in his late 30s, early 40s started walking towards me from the driver's side. Even at this point, I didn't have any alarm bells going off. Being in the middle of the Mojave Desert, providing assistance to stranded people was common. People rapidly get into severe problems there by not having enough water when a vehicle breaks down or not realizing that it's a fucking desert and people die wandering delirious away from the highway trying to find help. Anyhow, I rolled down my window and as he came abreast of my door, I could smell the liquor on him. I could see another man in the passenger seat. As this was before anyone I knew had cell phones and the nearest payphone was a good 10 minute drive ahead, I didn't have a way to call the cops on a drunk driver immediately. The man explained that his car stalled and asked if I could help them out. I asked if his car was a stick shift, which it was, so I asked if he was familiar with push-starting it. He said yes. So I agreed to as gently as I could push their car with my truck while they turned the engine over. For anyone that isn't familiar, this is a way to start a manual car that is having battery or starter issues, specifically to get it somewhere to work on it. I knew my truck would be fine, and I didn't feel like it would be wise to get out and try to push their car physically. Push-starting the car worked without a hitch, but here's where things go south. They get back out and thank me, then invite me to hang out and have some fun with them. I decline. They pull off to the side of the road, and I continue on my way. Only, they start following me. So here I am. It's 9.50. I'm currently late because I stopped to help them. Admittedly, I hadn't given myself much leeway from leaving my friends. These drunk, creepy older guys have started to follow me on a road without any man-made light except the car headlights, and I'm at least 10 minutes from a payphone. I think to myself, maybe I'm being paranoid, so I turn down a road that I know gave me a couple turnoffs to either head back to town or loop around to the gas station with a payphone. The car follows behind me. I'm thinking, shit, 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 so I take another turn that only leads to a couple houses at the end of the road, and they turn behind me. I take another turn to loop around back to the gas station and they follow me again, so at least I know they are following me and not just heading home. At this point, my heart is pounding. I decided to try something to lose them. I pull to the side of the road, I see them pull up behind me. I wait as the driver gets out of the car and begins walking towards me. His companion also gets out and starts walking towards me. I wait until they almost get to my tailgate, then floor it. My wheels dig into the rocks and poof dirt, causing a cloud behind me. With the lead way, I head towards a gas station. The gas station is deserted, but my payphone is showered in the light from the gas pumps. I call home and explain what happened and why I was running late. My stepdad asked if the gas station worker could be seen, and I let him know I couldn't see him behind the counter, and he was probably in the back. I wasn't in trouble, but I was asked to hurry home. So to the two drunk idiots that wanted to fuck 16-year-old me on my first night driving by myself, let's not meet again.
0: I just came out of a relationship and felt like a bit of casual dating would be fun, so I went on to Tinder. I made it clear to a few people that I actually matched with and spoke to that I didn't want anything serious, just a dinner date or a pub night here and there. I matched with a really cute guy, let's call him Pete. He had just moved to the city and wasn't looking for anything serious. He just wanted to meet some people and see some local spots. For the first night, we met up at a tapas bar. I chose this place because I had a few friends that were waitresses and bar staff there, so I felt safe meeting a stranger here. He was on time. We had a nice chat and he seemed like a really cool guy. We spoke about work to which he responded that he's a software developer and that he's just started his freelancing career. We spoke about where he stays now that he's moved up here. And he says that he's sharing a place with some friends. Rent is quite pricey in this city so that made sense. He asked where I lived and I told him that I was lucky enough to have my own one bedroom apartment in quite a nice and popular part of town, mostly thanks to my parents that helped me save and gave me a portion of the deposit money for my 21st birthday, which I invested and grew until I had enough to put down a decent deposit. He then offered to drop me off at home, but I said no, I'd prefer to Uber myself. He asked if this was because I'm going to meet someone else after him, and I laughed because I genuinely thought it was a joke. The next time I saw Pete was about three days later. He knew it was fast, but he actually couldn't stop thinking about me, and he wanted to see me again. This time, we met at a different restaurant, also one that I chose because I went to school with the owner and I knew all of the staff pretty well. The place is a bit more pricey, and he got really annoyed with me for ordering as much as I did. I couldn't understand why, since I insisted on paying for my own stuff both times that we met. That night, same story. Let me drop you off at home. Please. Again, I said no. While we're in the middle of this conversation, he gets a call. He stepped away, but I could still hear a fair amount. He said, no, I think I'm going to stay with you again. Yeah, I'm with her. Don't worry about it, okay? I'll be home soon. So now, I think he's chatting with his roommate, or maybe his mom, but I don't ask. He comes back to our table. Please, I insist, bad things happen to women that Uber this late by themselves. I'd feel a lot better if I dropped you off. Not having the energy to argue, I tell him fine, and I put my address into his GPS. As soon as he got home, he messaged me, and he tells me he'll be picking me up in the morning to go for a picnic. I reply that I actually have cleaning to do, but again, he insists that he'll see me at 10. Come 10 a.m. that next morning, you better believe he's right outside my apartment. I get into his car, and as he leans over to kiss my cheek, I notice that his breath stinks. Obviously, I'm a little grossed out. We have our picnic, and it's actually quite nice. He tried to kiss me a few times, but I avoided it, with everything in me. By about 4 p.m., I tell him that I really want to go home, and the park we went to is about an hour and a half drive from my apartment, so I couldn't really Uber back because it would cost me a fortune. He agrees it's time to go, so we get into his car and we're off. I fell asleep in the car on the drive back, and when I woke up, he asked if we should finish the rest of the bubbly that we got for the mimosas at my apartment. I said to him, I don't want to, and he snaps. He raised his voice and said something along the lines of, What are you hiding from me? Just be honest. Why are you so desperate to keep me out of your apartment? I was confused. I actually just kept quiet. He dropped me off, but I could see his car across from my apartment for about half an hour before he actually left. About five minutes after he left, He let me know that he's home safe and he thinks he's starting to fall for me. So naturally, I'm freaked out because I made it clear that I didn't want anything serious and he said he felt the same. I said to him, if that's the case, I think we should take a break from hanging out with each other. About five days later, he messages me and asks if we can go to dinner again. He found an Indian cuisine place that he knows I'll love. I tell him it's cool, He should just send me the address. He tells me that he'll pick me up. So 7 p.m. comes. He tells me that he's downstairs, and I go down to meet him. And I see he's standing at my gate. I press the remote control to open the gate, and he walked inside to meet me. Show me which one is yours. I'd love to see how you live. He didn't say hi. He didn't say how are you. That was his opening line. So now I'm naturally unsettled. I say to him that I'm starving. Could we go to dinner, and I'll show him my place at a later stage. That dinner, he gets a call again. This time, he didn't step away. He says, Yeah, I don't know. I can let you know by about ten. Then he turns to me. Am I sleeping by you tonight? He asked. Um, no, I, I don't know. I have work tomorrow. Pete to me. Yes, me too. Then he says to the caller, I'll let you know, okay? I can actually hear the caller. No, you're not. Can you just get your things, please? Then Pete says, And do what with them? The caller says, Take them to that girl that you're seeing. I'm done asking you. Now, I'm sitting here in absolute shock and terror. What the fuck is going on here? Our food arrives, and we barely speak. I say to him, why did you ask me if you could sleep over by me? We're not spending time together like that. You know this. He then spends a story about how he just wanted to hang out and again see how I live. I then say to him very frankly that I don't like having strangers in my apartment. He gets very touched, and the bill arrives. As per usual, I pay for myself. He pays for himself. I say to him that I'm going to get an Uber home. And he says, what's the use? I already know where you live. Let me drop you off. By now, I've already decided that this will be the last time that I see him. I get into his car and I reach for my jumper that I threw in the back when he fetched me. I noticed a bag in the back of the car, full of clothes and toiletries, as well as a pillow. I don't think too much of it. I don't personally drive my own car, but I know my sister has the most random shit in the backseat of her car. On the way home, he's dead quiet, when suddenly he says, Do you know how selfish you are? I had no issue driving you around, but you don't want me to sleep over by you. I say to him that I've never had an issue with Ubering, and if he's so upset... I also have no issue with paying him what the Ubers would have cost me. I'm over this, and I'm not even playing nice anymore. His phone rings again. I hear the caller. Your stuff is at the security boom, at the gate, Pete. Stay with your girlfriend or stay with your mom. You're fucked for taking advantage of everyone like this. Pete responds. I don't speak to my mom. You know this, you bitch. He then hangs up. Now, I think this may be an ex-girlfriend that he needs to collect things from. Before I even have a chance to process what happened, he turns to me and starts yelling at me. I have nowhere to go. Are you fucking happy, you spoiled brat? Living off of mommy and daddy's money? Getting driven around by me like I fucking work for you? You bitch. My whole body got stiff with fear. I don't know if I'm going to cry or throw up. In my head, I'm just planning how I'm going to grab my bag the second he stops and run straight to the cafe under my apartment. If you run through the cafe, you can get to a gate that takes you to the back part of the apartment, and it works with fingerprint access only. There wasn't time to still find my keys in my bag, and I didn't want the main gate that I normally use to open wide enough for him to get in when I go in. He stops at my apartment, and as planned, I jump out run into the cafe, run out back, and use the little gate up to the second floor. However, my apartment is on the fourth floor. I hammered on a neighbor's door. I went inside and told her and her husband everything that happened and asked if they wouldn't mind calling the cafe to explain why I ran through with no explanation in such a state. I blocked Pete, and I haven't seen him since. I'm still not sure what his case was. From what I gathered... He was basically homeless, and I think he wanted to get into my apartment to maybe sleep over for a while. I'm not sure if that girl that kept calling him was also a tender date that let him into their apartment, and he just never left. All I know is that he scared the living daylights out of me, and I never want to see him again.
1: Close to 10 years ago, my best mate and I scored the deal of the century. Liv and her parents recently purchased and refurbished home for cheapest chips rent, so the property wasn't considered unoccupied, and their insurance still covers it. They were planning on selling their house in the country and moving closer to town in a year. But when they spotted this place, it was perfect, so they snapped it up. They couldn't be bothered dealing with rando tenants for a year, so we were offered it. It was a lovely old mid-Victorian-style house with a hallway running the majority of the length on the left side, and three bedrooms and a bathroom coming off that hallway to the right. At the back of the house was an open-plan living room and kitchen and a backyard. It was an inner Melbourneian suburb, so it was totally fenced in with six-foot fence on three sides, and the front had a cutesy white picket fence. On the right side of the property, an outdoor gravel pathway was wedged beside the bedroom walls and the fence line. It began with a gate in the front yard and ran the length of the property to the backyard. This is important later. My mate obviously scored the master bedroom at the front, with lovely vertically opening bay windows facing the front garden and street. I had the next bedroom with a window facing the gravel path slash fence, and the third bedroom was our study. We lived here for close to 10 months in bliss. Great house, great company, and even though the area was considered a little dicey, the location was stellar. One hot summer's night, we said our goodnights, and I hit the hay and zonked out immediately. My housemate stayed up in bed to read for a bit, which just her bedside light on. She was doing that for just over an hour before she heard a weird scritch-scratch on the front window of her bedroom. Initially, she put it down to an overhanging tree branch, till she realized there was no overhanging tree branch. She sat frozen in fear, blankly staring at her book for what felt like eternity, till she heard the noise again, and again. Scritch-scratch, scritch-scratch. Slowly looking up, she saw a dude wearing a hoodie trying to open her window, looking her dead in the eyes. She screamed, jumped out of bed, and ran straight into my room. I woke up super dazed as she was pulling my hand and whisper yelling that someone was trying to break in. She had a tendency to be a little overdramatic sometimes, but I swear I've never seen someone look so genuinely terrified. I went to grab my phone and call the cops but we just went completely still when we heard the distinct crunch, crunch, crunch of someone walking down the side path of the house. We both rolled off my bed onto the floor and went completely still. The crunch, crunch, crunch continued, getting closer to my bedroom window. I don't know what it is about distinct sounds at night when it's otherwise quiet, but it sounded deafening. And then I realized why it was so loud. My fucking window was wide open. I jumped up, slid the window down, and slammed the lock shut just as he reached the window. He looked at me, but he didn't react at all. He just calmly tried to open the window, but when he realized he couldn't, he continued down the pathway to the backyard. I was thoroughly shitting myself now, and my housemate was sobbing in the floor, looking up at me like a bunny about to be torn apart by a fox. I sprinted to the back door to thankfully find it locked and ran back to my room and called the cops. I don't know what the cops knew that we didn't, But they must have broken a land speed record to arrive all of three minutes later, lights and sirens off. We saw them go down the side path, guns drawn, straight to the backyard. There were some noises from the yard, then a knock at the back door a moment later, and the police identified themselves. It turns out the dude had vaulted the back fence, an impressive feat, and another patrol car was headed to the next street over to look for him. The two cops at our place asked if we were okay, then asked if they could come in and look around. The cops were honestly amazing. They managed to calm us down whilst making sure the place was safe, and I was really impressed with how they handled the situation. I offered them some tea, which they politely declined, as they took our statements, and they asked if there was anyone we could stay with tonight. My housemate and I stayed at our boyfriend's place for a few nights after that, and when we stayed in the house, it was never the same. We felt completely violated and ended up moving out a few weeks later. We never found out if the dude was caught, but there was a random stabbing a few nights after the incident at the train station two streets over. If it was related or not, I don't know. But all I can think is that we were so fucking lucky that it went the way it did.
0: Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Let's Not Meet, a true horror podcast. This week, you have heard Timmy Kenner Should Be Dead by Reddit user Smirky Shrugs. Followed Late at Night in the Desert by Reddit user Lioness the Druid. Tender Nightmare by Reddit user Flowers Taste Bad. And finally, Guy Watches My Housemate Through Her Window, Then Tries to Break In by Reddit user Von Kida. Thanks to Curtis Connor for appearing on this week's episode of Let's Not Meet. Uh, check out his podcast, Very Really Good, on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Or check out his YouTube channel, just search Curtis Connor. I was surprised to find out that he was a fan of my podcast, while listening to his show, and he referenced Let's Not Meet as one of his favorite shows. So it was really cool to uh, you know, meet up with him on Twitter, and we talked a little bit and decided that, you know, he should just come on the show and tell a couple of stories. Um, and I really enjoyed having him on the show. Don't forget to send your stories in to let's not meet stories at gmail.com. If you have any questions, email me at let's not meet podcast at gmail.com. And if you want to gain access to all the bonus episodes that I've been doing, head over to patreon.com forward slash let's not meet podcast and sign up to get access to all of those bonus episodes. I'll see you guys next week for a brand new episode of Let's Not Meet.